0: Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. When it comes to other believers, we 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 serve other believers, but our ministry to unbelievers is to bring the gospel to them. And really, we can say that's our fourth purpose, or excuse me, our fifth purpose as believers, as Christians. We are sent into the world as Jesus' representatives. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that you are an ambassador for Christ. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. Jesus, as young as 12 years old, his parents take him to Jerusalem for Pentecost. After the feast, they're on their way back to Nazareth. They travel a full day and realize that Jesus is not with them. They look among their friends and relatives, can't find them. That must have been a bad day. They realize we have lost God. (laughs) So they go back to Jerusalem. They spend three days looking for Jesus. They find him in the temple. And they said, why did you treat us like this? And Jesus said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus' number one priority was kingdom business. Jesus told us, In Matthew, chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, Jesus completed his mission. 21 years later on the cross, he said, it's finished. He said, I have come to seek and save that which was lost, which is to be our mission. The Bible about King David, it says, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, He fell asleep. David served God's purpose in his generation, and that's what you and I are to do. We are not just here to fulfill our own desires, to go our own way, to live a selfish life. We're here to fulfill the purpose that God has for us. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, it says, All this is done by God, who through Christ changed us from enemies into his friends and gave us the task of making others his friends also. You were redeemed by the Lord, but you were redeemed with a purpose. You were redeemed. What, What God took you out of is not as great as what he brought you into. And what he brought us into is to be his representatives. In fact, other translations say it this way, that we're speaking in Christ's place. And literally, you and I are the only Jesus that some people are ever going to see, ever going to hear. So we've been sent to speak for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. It is as if God is calling to you through us. We speak for Christ when we beg you to be at peace with God. You and I are to be his representatives. Your mission really is a continuation of Jesus' mission. Come and seek and save that which was lost. Again, 2 Corinthians 5. All these things are of God who brought us back to himself through what Christ Jesus did. And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. Now notice it is a privilege. For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting or holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God has given us the privilege, the wonderful message to be his ambassadors and to tell others that they can be reconciled to God. That God is not holding their sins against them. A lot of people really feel God's mad. God's mad at me. No, the Bible says God is not holding their sins against them because Jesus paid the price for their sins. You know, if someone was to find a cure for cancer, find a cure for AIDS, we would want them to get the best advertising agency to find a great location and to reach as many people as they possibly could. But the truth is, that we've got something that is even better than a cure for AIDS or cancer. It's a cure for sin. It's something that every single person needs. The Bible says that we're begging you in Christ's stead. This is for every Christian. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. It is mandatory. Right To neglect really is disobedience. Now, I, I look at myself and Jeannie... You know, we gradu- I went to Bible school not because I ever thought I would be a pastor or a missionary or anything. I just went because I wanted to learn more about God. But we were just hungry for God. We wanted to help people. And so when we graduated, we thought, well, what shall we do? We thought there's probably more need in foreign countries than there is in the United States. So we went to, the, to uh, Mexico, contacted a missionary, went to help him. And all that we wanted to do was help. I I literally, I began cleaning the toilets, sweeping, doing anything that needed to be done. And uh, again, the last thing I ever thought I would do was preach. The reason was I was petrified of public speaking. Do you know it is the number one fear? Death is the second greatest fear. Public speaking is number one, right? And I know that that's true. Jeannie can testify the first time I ever spoke I grabbed the. I broke the podium. I shook so bad I broke it. Right? So I, I never planned to do what we're doing today. Right? Um, the missionary left after about a month, and uh, so I had to. I had to preach. In fact, I told. He said. He said. Here's here's the keys. You know to the ministry. You know take them. And I said I don't want them. And he threw them to me. And he said, Well, you can have it or the devil can have it. We're leaving. I caught the keys. And uh, they left. That's why I got in the ministry. Seriously. And the, the good thing was I had to have a translator. <laughs> you know, when you're speaking in a we had just arrived in Mexico like a month before, so I still didn't speak Spanish. So I would speak, I would, you know, say something in English, they'd say it in Spanish, gave me a chance to figure out what I was going to say next. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. All right. But what we had was just a hunger to help people, a hunger to see people get saved. Now, listen, that is the Great Commission. That is to be every believer's number one priority. But here's the thing. If it's not number one, it's never just number two or number three or number four. It just slides right down and disappears someplace after gardening (laughs) on your priority list. Right? But we need to keep it. You see, vision leaks. It leaks. Okay? And, and we need to keep it a priority in our lives. Right? The devil will try to get you, knock you out, get you offended, get you distracted, whether it's career or hobbies. In fact, Jesus mentions you know, the, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, the cares of this world. They enter in and they choke the word. It's our responsibility to keep ourselves passionate about winning people for Jesus. God spoke to Ezekiel and he says, When I say to the wicked, you will surely die. You must warn them so that they may live. And if you don't speak out to warn the wicked to stop their evil ways, they will die in their sin. But I will hold you responsible for their death. Literally, some people, the only chance they're going to have to get right with God, is you. And the Bible says, beg them in Christ's stead. Jesus said this, listen. The master said to the servant, go out into the highways in the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. He said, compel them to come in. You know, when you say to somebody, hey, you know, I want to invite you to church. That's nice, but that's not compelling them. All right. You need to go pick them up. Bring them. Make them. How many of you know they say they're going to show up, but they don't? But when you show up at their door, they don't have a choice. You compel them. Say, here's some other translations. One translation says compel them. Others says press them. Others, Message Bible says drag them in. Another translation says urge anyone you find. Another says make them. Insistently persuade. Constrain. Another says, bring in the complete strangers, right? Compel them. Now, when Jeannie and I were missionaries, a couple years we lived in a village and we mostly started churches during that time. And we went to the state of Veracruz and we were working with a small church in a town and we decided we were going to start a church in a city, a little town, really, maybe less than 2,000 people for sure, right? Called Eligo, Veracruz. So we go to Eligo. And we get permission from the, the, uh, the, the mayor of the town to hold a crusade and to put a huge screen that Jeannie made out of sheets, I think it was like 14 feet by 22 feet, across the main road. So we would show a movie, and it would show on both sides. Right? If you're on one side, they're coming. On the other side, they're leaving. No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> but you could see it on both sides. So the whole town would come out. We had these big trumpet speakers. During the day, we're knocking on doors, passing out tracts, praying with people. But every night, as it would get dark, we'd show a movie about Jesus, preach. Show a movie, preach. Show a movie, preach. Show a movie, preach. Give an altar call. Right? So we do that for three, three days, three nights. Right? We're staying at the, the church that's about 15 miles away, sleeping on the floor every night, eating, you don't even want to know what we're eating. Right? But So we get done with that meeting about 11 maybe a little after that night, and all the team, there's four or five of us, everybody like, we want to get home, all right? And we're starting to tear down our stuff, and this elderly lady comes up. She's just a beautiful, beautiful lady, like 70, 75 years old. She's got gray hair, thick, thick, long gray hair. And she she comes up to me and says, hey, she," she says, please come to my house. She says, I've got some food, I want to feed you, you know. You have brought the word of God and I want to do something, I want to feed you, please come to my house. I said, you know, thank you very much. She said, we've got a five-hour drive in front of us and we want to get home, we've been here for three days. She said, we just need to get home, thank you, but, but no thanks, you know. And she turns away and I think she's going to cry, but you know, she turns off and we're getting more stuff together, tearing down the, sh- the sheets and the speakers and everything. Two, three, four minutes later, I see her. She's got one of the team members, and she's asking them. And they point to me, and she comes back. And she says, oh, please, you've got to come to my house. She says, I want to do something for you. You brought the word of God, and I want to do something. You know, you must come to my house. And I explain again, we've been here for three days. We've got a five-hour drive. You know, we want to get home. We, We can't stay. We're going to leave. And she turns and leaves. And again, you can just see she's just like, you know, just devastated. I want to get home to mama, right? Three minutes later, she's got somebody else. They bring her over to me. And she says, same thing. She says, you must come to my house. She says, I prepared for you food. She says, I've got to do something to bless you. You've blessed our city. I want to bless you. And then she says, if you consider me to be a true believer in Christ, if you consider me to be faithful to the Lord, you will come to my house and eat food. She starts to cry. What do you do when grandma cries? You know? I said, Okay. You know, but just real quick. Okay, okay. You know, she takes off. We get the stuff in the truck. We go over to her little house. And and I call it a house. It's a thatched roof. You know, uh, sticks with mud for walls. And she has us outside, and there's just a thatched roof above us. There's no electricity. She's got a table under there. And there's like a Coleman lantern that's hanging right above the table. And the first thing she does, she comes out with café con leche. Now, if you, if you haven't had café con leche, I mean, you just, this is, this is th- these people grow their own coffee, all right? Dry their own beans, roast their own beans. And when they make coffee, oh, this will put hair on your feet. I mean, this is like, <laughs> this is coffee. I mean, it is the strongest stuff. But they put like a half a coffee in there, and then the rest, you know, they put some goat's milk in like a quarter sugar. And this stuff will light your lights. All right, so she comes by and gives everybody a little tin cup, and she's filling it up with cafe con leche, and she's like, "Drink cafe con leche, drink cafe con leche," you know. And we're sitting there drinking our cafe con leche, and I knew right then I'm not falling asleep tonight. I won't be sleeping for 24 hours, you know. And she keeps on putting cafe con leche in everybody's cup, and she's just smiling, she's just beaming. She disappears. She comes back with a platter, and it's got what what the Latinos call uh, pan dulce, sweet bread. All right. And some of it's bolillos and some of it looks like really good donuts, Right. But do not be deceived. It's not. It just looks really good. All right. But there's like no sugar or what else doesn't it have, honey, like butter or something. I don't know what it is, but it looks good, but it's not. I right? just got to know that. All right. So she puts the pan dulce down right under the light, right in front of me, you know. And it was like again, all of us guys are sitting around the table, and she says, eat pandulce, eat pandulce. You know, and I look at that pandulce. And and it was like this donut there. And it had sprinklies on it. But they were moving. (laughs) You know, and the the brother across from me, you know, he picks one up and he starts eating that that Pandulce and I am not kidding. In his mustache, I can see them moving. You know, they're moving in his mustache. You know, and so she comes to me, and she says, "Eat pan dulce." I said, "I'm not hungry. I will just take more café con leche." You know, café con leche right here, please. You know, and she says, "No, you must eat pan dulce." And I said, "No, thank you. Just café con leche más, por favor." You know, and she comes back in a in a little bit, and she says, "You must eat my pan dulce." She says, if you consider me to be a true believer in Christ and you consider me to be faithful to the Lord, you will eat my pan dulce. And I remembered Mark 16. You will eat any deadly thing. <laughs> you know, and I remembered the missionary song. You know the missionary song? Where he leads me, I will follow all they feed me. I will swallow, you know. <laughs> so, so, you know, I grab one of them ponderosa, and I shake that thing, you know. <laughs> and I, I eat my Say, Now, listen, she compelled us. You understand? She compelled us to stay. She compelled me to eat what I did not want to eat. And Jesus said, he said, you go out in the highways, in the hedges, he said, you find people, he said, you compel them to come in, right? (laughs) Love message Bible, drag them in, drag them in. And notice it says, it is our privilege. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher said this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertion. And let not one go unworn or unprayed for. I like what one evangelist said. He said, let's make it hard to go to hell from our town. I believe that's the will of God. God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and to be reconciled to him. All right. It would be a crime to find a cure for cancer or AIDS and say or do nothing. But it's a crime to have the cure for guilt and sin and be quiet. Everybody needs Jesus. They may look happy. They may look content and successful. But the truth is, Everyone is hopeless without Jesus, headed for an eternity, separated from God. You know, the, the consequences, the ramifications of our mission are eternal, right? Anything else that we do ultimately is going to vanish, but it's what we do for the kingdom that makes an eternal difference. The Apostle Paul said, In the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God of God. Now, we are here to tell everyone about the good news, about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus told him, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I've planned for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust for other things, it enters in and it chokes. It chokes the word. It chokes our purpose. And it keeps us from focusing on what God has for us. As Daniel is talking about eternal rewards, he says this. He says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. What do you think about this? There is something that you could do this week to win somebody to Jesus to share your story about what God's done for you. And the ramifications, it says, are forever and ever. Got that? You may be preparing for retirement that might happen and might not happen. You may be preparing for a vacation that will be temporary that might happen or might not happen. But you're going to spend your eternity somewhere. And when you touch somebody for Jesus, the ramifications are forever ever. Now, if we want to be used by God, we need to care about what God cares about. And there's nothing God cares more about than people. And he wants his lost children to be saved. Nothing matters more to God. Now, in every one of us, we need to determine that we are going to win somebody to Jesus. Compel them to come in. You know, that's the good news that we've got to share that God is not holding men's sins against them. Now, never underestimate the power of your story, what has happened to you, how God saved you. Listen to this. We're chosen to be holy people, God's instruments to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others the night and day difference that he, God, has made for you. You and I are called to tell others the night and day difference that God has made in our life. It amazes me, you know, we're going to have a baptism service in about two weeks. In fact, it's two weeks from today. It amazes me every time we have one, how many people lift their hand to receive the Lord? You say, why do they do that? Because they hear somebody's testimony. They hear somebody's story. And when they hear that story, they go, that's like my, that's me. They relate to your story. And, and when they do, it opens their heart to the Lord. I think it's interesting that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, everybody heard him speaking in tongues, but they weren't prophesying. They weren't talking doctrine. They were talking about the magnificent things that God had done. Isn't that interesting? When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's not prophecy, it's not doctrine, it's the magnificent things that God has done. And God has done great things for you and for me. Your story, what God has done for you. Listen, there are tens of thousands of people that live within three miles of this place right here. That have felt everything that you felt. That had the same pain, the same difficulty, the same problems, the same addiction. And when you tell your story about what God has done for you, it touches their heart. Three times in the book of Acts, six times in the New Testament, Paul tells his story. Now, here is the greatest theologian that ever lived. Wrote almost half of the New Testament. But when he wanted to win somebody to Jesus, do you know what he did? He told his story. And do you know what? You've got the same story. What God did for him, God has done for you. And people are disarmed by your story. Not only can you share your story, but you can share the life lessons that God has taught you about forgiving others, about marriage, about how to handle failure, about your purpose, about being free from an addiction. But you can take that story. Jesus said, and you will be witnesses unto me. And so often we think we got to tell theology. No, what you're supposed to tell is your story. What God has done for you. You're a satisfied customer, and you need to tell others about it. Listen, you are the number one authority on your story. Nobody knows it better, all right? You try to tell somebody theology, they argue. But it's easy to tell your story. People relate when you tell your story. Listen, you think that things that happen to you, they've only happened to you. It's not true, all right? The Bible says there's no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common. All the stuff that you go through, all of us go through, right? There's just a handful of different things, different ways that the devil attacks, a handful of different needs that everybody has. And what what has touched you will touch multitudes of people. That's why your story is easy to relate to. It captures people's attention. And again, people will remember your story. I promise you, next week you will have forgotten 98% of anything and everything I said, except my story about the lady who made us eat Pandulce. You will remember Pandulce for 10 years. Now listen, when you tell somebody your story, you may not get an immediate reaction, but that story is gonna stay with them. It's gonna stay with them. It's gonna like, it's gonna haunt them. They will remember your story. In your story, listen, it builds a bridge that Jesus can walk across into that person's life. Your story. Your story, it bypasses all intellectual defenses. Again, that's why three times in the book of Acts, six times in the New Testament, we find Paul's story. So what should you tell somebody? What your life was like before Jesus? How you realized you needed Jesus? How you committed your life to Jesus, the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Those are all things that you can share. And again, don't forget your life lessons. The things that God has taught you about relationships, about marriage, about overcoming a temptation, about being free from an addiction, about forgiving people that have hurt you and done terrible things to you. Do you know how many people struggle with unforgiveness? Most people struggle with unforgiveness. And, and you can share that story, and that story disarms people. And again, it builds a bridge for Jesus to walk across and come into that person's life. Proverbs twenty-five twelve: A warning given by an experienced person to someone willing to listen is more valuable than gold rings and jewelry made finest gold now you can talk about your experience the lesson that you've learned and it's going to touch people's hearts and again build the bridge that jesus can walk across and come right into your life talk about what you learned through pain through sorrow through depression through disappointments right through times of lack through failure the lessons that you've learned in life your story of how you came to jesus are the number one tools that God has given to you and to me to reach out to people. Don't think about theology. Think about what has Jesus done and meant to me? What has God taught me? And if you will share those things, God will use them. God will use them. And what Daniel said, that many of those that turn many to righteousness, you'll shine like the sun forever and ever. Listen. Your reward for taking and sharing what God has done for you is going to last forever and ever. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? If you're here today, but not where you should be with God, away from the Lord, or like millions of people, you don't know where you stand with God. I've talked with a lot of people and said, Are you saved? Are you a Christian? And this will be the response. Well, I hope I am. I'm trying to be a Christian. Are you saved? Well, uh, I hope I'm going to heaven. But the Bible says know that you have everlasting life. Not hope to have, not going to find out when you die, but know that you have. And if you are not sure that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're living for God, you are not where you should be today. And I'm going to ask you in a moment, I'm going to count to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. We're going to pray, and God is going to meet you right here in this place. When we leave, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a child of God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your way will not get you to God. My way will not get me to God. Jesus said, there's one way. And he is the way. And as you lift your hand today, the first thing you're saying is this. I know that I'm a sinner and need a Savior. And I know there's only one Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus to be saved, to be forgiven today. That's the first thing you're saying. So one. Next, you're saying this. You're saying, I'm going to turn my back on my old life. I'm going to stop living to please myself. Today I'm going to receive Jesus and I'm going to begin to live for him every day. Two, now get ready to lift your hand. When you lift your hand, you're saying today, by faith, I'm receiving Jesus. He's coming into my heart today. He's going to forgive me of all of my sins. He's going to make me a brand new person on the inside. My past it's going to be gone. I'm going to be a part of God's family on my way to heaven. Three. Right now, just lift that hand up say, pray with me. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.